Um, Chris Stormbos, the CEO and founder of E3 Lithium. E3 Lithium is a uh, lithium resource development company. Founded in 2016, E3 is developing one of the largest lithium assets here in Alberta. We've got 24 million tons lithium carbonate equivalent in the ground. Uh, we've also been developing an ion exchange technology that now allows us to extract that lithium from these brines. Um, and we look to be one of the larger lithium producers starting at around 20,000 tons per year, hopefully by 2026. And we want to scale that up, we think, to around two to 250, 300,000 tons of production over time, making us one of the largest lithium producers on the planet. Chris, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to be speaking to you again. Um, it's been an awfully long time since we last spoke. Um, um, now, your market cap has been hovering around the $150 million mark for the last couple of years. You know, the share price has been up and down in that $2 to $2.50 range. Um, You've, today you put out the news release about the announcing your 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 pilot plant. Um, I, I can see some companies, some lithium companies, have had this kind of step change in 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 growth. And with you, there's this kind of um, there's this the black box of the of the lithium extraction. We don't know whether it's going to work or not. Um, presumably, this pilot plant is a kind of a key step in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the past couple of years, E3 has sort of been hovering around the two to three dollar range. Um, you know, a big step change from prior to that, where we we hovered around the thirty to fifty cent range. Um, that catalyst was really driven by our preliminary economic assessment that demonstrated to the market that this had incredible value potential. Um, I think you know, to your point there about the pilot. The pilot is another big de-risking step like the PEA was for us. You know, we've been working on, on technology. We've been, we've been planning for this pilot for years now. And what it really does for the company is it, it truly de-risks a big portion of what we're up to here. So, you know, the, the real value for E3 remains in the resource, the lithium that we have in the ground, that 24 million tons. But without a technology that is demonstrated at some scale that is that we can, you know, design a commercial plant on, um, it's, it's hard to see that value. So demonstrating this technology this year, and it's coming quickly, we're, we're six or so months away from this thing operating, is really going to outline, I think, to the market. And it's what the market is, I think, also waiting for to see that this technology is going to take lithium out of the brines at this scale. And I think from the perspective that we have, we wouldn't be going to pilot if we didn't believe the technology was working. And so we have a lot of confidence internally and we will be um, demonstrating that confidence, obviously, with the success of this pilot in, in Q3 of this year. When I look at your PEA, um, there are three stages to the process. One is kind of getting the brine out. One is the lithium extraction. And then the final, the third stage is the conversion. Um uh, when when I read the news release this morning, the the pilot plant is just a two stage a two stage process, which is kind of brine um, brine prep and treatment, uh, and then there's the um, direct lithium extraction. Why are you just doing two stages there? Yeah, so when we look at it from exactly as you're saying the, the PA, we're, we're demonstrating about sixty percent, sixty five percent of the operations that will run commercially. So. We, you know, we have a, a well that we drilled um, this past summer. So the first lithium well drilled in Alberta. I'm very excited about that. We're now converting that into 
where the pilot will operate. So the brine will be coming from a location in the aquifer where we plan to run our first commercial plant. And that's incredibly important because we're testing real feedstock um, for the commercial plant at the pilot scale. So, so hang on, you, you've drilled, th- I thought you drilled three wells in, in, in that area. We drilled three, um, and, but we only need one to run the pilot. So we're putting the pilot one. Okay, so you're gonna run. You're gonna you're gonna run the pilot off. Well, I think it's well one, isn't it? The very well first one. well that you drove. Exactly. Yeah. So from from that perspective, the the first part of the process that we will operate commercially is getting the brine out of the aquifer, bring it to a facility where we'll treat it um, to get it ready for ion exchange. So that process is happening at the pilot. That's we talked about that in the news. That's sort of the step one, and then step two will be and the so, ion. Sorry. So just on. The, just on step one, on that treatment, on that preparation, you know, uh, what does that involve? Are you kind of cleaning it? Are you taking out impurities? You know, what, what does that process involve? Yeah, so the, the water comes out with gas. And the gas isn't trained in the aquifer because the aquifer is under pressure. And as you release that pressure, you release gas out of the, out of the, the water. And so there's no oil in this area, so there's no oil treatment. So we put it through something that's pretty standard in the uh, in the oil industry here, which is something called a separator. And this is a two-phase separator, so it separates uh, fluids from gases. So the gas is taken off, and then we have um, water that is now safe to handle in a in a low pressure environment. The the pilot plant doesn't run at high pressure, um, so it uh, it then is safe to handle to go through the actual ion exchange system. And that's a brine. That's something that was, you know, come up from the basin and it's rich in a whole bunch of different minerals. And you're interested in uh, the lithium, which is in that 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 um, solute. It's more kind of a solute than a water, isn't it? It's kind of a, it's an aqueous fluid rich in a whole bunch of different kind of elements. Yeah, I mean, we call it brine. Really what that means, it's about 20% solids. So it's um, so it has a or TDS, total dissolved solid, 200,000. So it, it's 20% solids. Um, which is the minerals that's dissolved in it. Um, that's how I refer to it. Um, one of those is lithium. The lithium is obviously have extremely high value. When you look at that relative to the other minerals that are in it, lithium is by far the most valuable. There are other things of value in there like magnesium. And we're looking at the magnesium very carefully because there is a market for it. Um, and there will be likely news on that in the future, but we're very excited about the total value. And we will look at all of the value streams eventually. But right now, you know, we're, we're focused on the lithium because that is what we, we see as creating the, the most value for the company. And it's the, and it is um, obviously the market for it is, is expansive. So that's, that's been our focus and will continue to be till we have that uh, the process facility uh, designed and running. But I thought the, mag- I thought magnesium in, 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 um, in lithium brines is a contaminant rather than a valued product. In, in a solar, uh, it is. And, and that's because when you're evaporating it off, you concentrate all of, the, um, all of these uh, solids, all of these minerals that are in there, and magnesium being one of them. And then if the ratio of lithium to magnesium is too high, or magnesium to lithium is too high, then it's tricky to get the extraction to work. With ion exchange technologies, like the one E3 has developed among our peers, um, it's it really truly is agnostic to li- to magnesium. You're just getting the lithium out, which means that the magnesium content in these brines is, is immaterial. It doesn't really matter because we get the lithium out in our concentrated solution at about 60% pure lithium. The other 40% contains things like magnesium, but calcium and sodium. Um, but the majority of what we have when we get it out is lithium, and so the the energy and and effort required 
to take what we get out of the ion exchange and turn it into a battery grade product is uh, significantly smaller than the hard rock mining specifically, but also the evaporation uh, processes. And that, uh, that's a huge advantage to us. And it also means that the magnesium, most of it remains in the brine after we take the lithium out. And so you can then take that out if you wanted to, to make a product from it. So you kind of get it to such a, uh, a contaminant to such a high level that it's actually, you know, extractable as a, as a, as a value product. Um, does that come out in the direct lithium, um, the, the DLE stage, or is it in the conversion stage later? Uh, yes, the magnesium. Well, the other forty percent. So, so you produce a, so you produce something which is sixty percent lithium, and then you've got forty percent which is non-lithium. You know, how does that? Talk me through the conversion stage, please, to get to battery grade. Absolutely. So the the sixty percent, sixty five percent of the effort that we talked about ends, and what we'll pilot ends at at the end of the DLE train. So we'll produce a concentrated solution that's about sixty percent lithium. Um, in the commercial operation, we will then take that and we'll, we'll, what we call polish it. So we'll remove those other contaminants, magnesium, calcium. That's actually done with, with more ion exchange processing as one of the options. Um, we also will further concentrate it, and that's that will generally be done with a reverse osmosis filtration system. So we, we deploy generally those two pots and pans to downstream, and then it can be converted using conventional conversion um, processing into a lithium hydroxide. And for our pilot, that won't happen on site. And the reason that we're not doing that on site is because there are companies that have developed these flow sheets that we can hire to do that, that post-processing into a battery quality product. Um, so we save capital that way by just packaging this up and shipping it locally. But at the commercial facility, the reason they're doing that, the whole reason that we're sending it to them is for the, so that they can help design for us a commercial plant that will do that. And then we will build that on site. And so we'll have the full operation running um, for in a commercial scenario. I've got a figure, I think, from the PEA of the conversion um, part of the plant being about $200 million worth. But of course, that number will get refined. Yeah, exactly. So the, in terms of cost, it's about a third, a third, a third, right? The the well network and, and pipeline, the DLE and the pretreatment um, and then the conversion. And I would expect for the, just, just hearing you talk through that process, um, the, the, the front end is very much uh, oil sector technology. The back end is um, established conversion technology, which kind of leaves the middle bit, the, 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 the leaching itself, itself, the iron exchange as, your, as being your key um, step that you've got to de-risk for the market to ascribe value to you. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but with the price of lithium so high at the moment, it's not so much a, a cost uh, thing as a recovery and as a kind of a, an operations aspect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've demonstrated that we can get higher recoveries of lithium with low contaminants, low recovery effectively, you can look at it that way, of other things. So that's why we get the purity. Um, and you're absolutely right. When you look at what is proven in this world, um, Conventional oil, I mean, we've been removing these brines from these aquifers since the 40s. We understand the aquifer. We understand how to move the fluids out of it and into it. Um, and, the, and the conversion technology is what everybody else deploys to make lithium hydroxide. Not, not new either. And our eluent is either in a chloride form or a sulfate form. And those are the two precursors everybody uses. So that's also in line. And it really is the direct extraction but even that is ion exchange processing. And that ion exchange processing is used all over the world. 
um, because it's really just solid liquid separation handling is is the challenge, right? It's the the piece that is you 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 have a, a material, right? And and there are three basically metal oxides that take that are, are have affinity for lithium. There's aluminum, uh, manganese, and titanium. And everyone in the world who's looking at direct extraction is using one of those three. Um, that's not really the hard part. The hard part is making the material in a way that lasts a long time combined with a processing methodology that enables you to remove the water from the material. Keep in mind that you mix the water with this material and then you have to separate it. And then you mix the elution fluid with this material which strips lithium off and then you have to separate from the material. And then you can mix the brine again. And so you can cycle back and forth. I'm lost. And <laughs> I'm lost. But it's, it, it sounds like a big kind of chemistry kit with with um, kind of gradual um, changes of subtle changes of the chemistry in each step enriching the lithium. I mean, for a layman. Yeah, effectively, all you're really doing is is adding a, a, a metal oxide, one of these metal oxides to the brine and the lithium comes out. You, you and then you have to strip the water from this material. And that's been the challenge that E3 has been working on for the past couple of years, is how you remove the, the water from this material. And the way that you do that, the, the mechanism that you deploy, is standard across the industry. All ion exchange processing, all solid liquid separation handling uses the same toolbox of different methodologies that you can deploy. And so E3 is no different. And that's why when we look at this from the perspective of, of risk, you know, even though ion exchange direct extraction is new, what's behind it has been operating in commercial forms in these volumes for, for 50, 60 years. So again, that's not really all that new either. So looking at the, the broad scale, you know, and, and we, we talked about this a bit earlier, about you know, the fundamental here is de-risking. And the de-risking of this that happens is that we demonstrate it. But the, the methodologies that we deploy are, are significantly de-risked because they're used in other places at these same volumes. The other part of this that's been de-risked is that, you know, in 2016, 2017, there were no technologies on the market that enabled you to extract lithium directly from brine. And now that's definitively changed. And so you can look around the landscape and there are lots of companies now and probably using one of four leading technologies. And these four technologies are closely um, getting uh, to that commercial point. And in fact, this year or early next, we'll likely see one of the first largest scale um, direct extraction processing plants operate in California. And that's very exciting because what that means is that the market and the, in the industry globally is being de-risked um, as well as E3's project this year. So that whole technology risk that, that has been out there lingering um, will likely for us disappear. And I think when you look at the value for E3, um, that's going to be a big marker for us because when you look at our peers and where they've created value, it's in the de-risking exercise and the bigger risks as they get de-risked. So this one obviously being a big one for us, um, we're very excited about what this will do for us as a company too, as we get through the, the progression of the different steps. And um, thank you. I mean, it's really fascinating. But um, what I, I still don't quite get is what's the proprietary bit to E3. I mean, you must have developed your own process. I think you've you've, you've used the word proprietary um, solvents. Um, you know, what's what's the the secret sauce? Um, E3's proprietary part of the technology is the is the material itself, and it's not even what the material is. As I mentioned, it's one of three, and we use a manganese based sorbent. Um, it's how you make it that is really the the intellectual property that the company holds. 
And from that perspective, again, you know, we look at this as um, a broad spectrum of, of technologies. We look at the, the application of our technology to our brine. Um, and we, we use it because we like the, the economic output. We like the value it creates because it has a high affinity for lithium. Um, but from a technology point of view, um, you know, the, the broader scale, it's likely that other technologies that are out there today will also work, right? And so from the perspective of what we're trying to do, I mean, we're trying to build a lithium plant. We don't necessarily need to perfect a technology, but we have because five years ago, six years ago, we did need to perfect a technology. That was a necessity. Um, and your your budget and your timeline, uh, you've put in quite a big range in your budget. I see this, you know, it's from four to six million dollars. You know, it's like, woo, there's quite a lot of um, room for, for, for error in there. And, and your timeline, if you could just kind of comment on the budget and the timeline, please, that'd be really helpful. Absolutely. So um, the budget we put in, the, the actual budget we have is about five million. But there are a couple of costs that we think we can save. And there's a couple of costs that um, we haven't quite nailed down. To, to a level that we are confident in. So um, we put a range just to be safe, to give the market a bit of a, uh, a perspective of what it could be. So it could be between four and six, but our actual cost estimate that we have from the design we've done is five million. So we just put some error bars effectively on it. Um, and I, we're, we're actually really trying today to drive that cost down. Um, and it's what our engineering firm that we're using has been tasked with is is to deliver this this pilot uh, system, but do it also you know on, as a cost perspective, um, and still getting it out you know in in early Q3 is the goal. Um, in terms of the time frame, you know there's a there's a couple of really big announcements that are going to come prior to the pilot. Um, the first one's more talking about the license that we've applied for, which we uh, we expect to get you know sometime in the next couple of months. And then the mobilization of some of the equipment coming to site. That really means that we're live. We're moving this pilot Sorry, forward. So, so the license, what's that refer to? Yeah, so we, we have a license to drill the well that we drilled. And we're converting that license to be able to operate the pilot. And that's a stock standard process in Alberta that you go through. And we've applied for that. And so that's pending right now. Um, and uh, we, we do expect to see it in the next couple of months. Okay, and then and and then uh, you said kind of mobilization, kind of, um, f and presumably that will come with. You're, if you're mobilizing, you've got your final plans and costs all, all all in line. Yeah, exactly. So we'll outline that mobilization, and and that will have the the defined, you know, cost estimate that uh, you know that will be somewhere around the five million. We'll we'll outline um, that final number, um, and then the next announcement you're going to see from us is is talking about the KPIs. So we mentioned in the news announcement that we're, we're likely to test multiple systems. And whatever we decide we're gonna test out in the field, we're gonna outline with a bit more detail to the market um, prior to going out there. And with each of them, uh, a, key, a KPI, a key performance indicator, what we expect it will look like and what we want to see that, will, that we need to see for the commercial design. Because the whole point of this pilot, while it de-risks the technology, that's the, out, that's the sort of grand outcome the real point of the pilot is to collect the data you need to design the commercial facility. So, you know, the first bit of operation, you're testing various different parameters. You can pull different levers to make it operate different ways. So you test all of those things. Then you find the way you like it operating best, and then you operate it that way for, for quite some time, generating a, a concentrated solution, and you fine-tune it to get exactly how you need to operate. And that process of doing those two things collects data, and that data is used 
to design a commercial facility. And that's goal number one. But through that, we will have the results and we will then, after the pilot's operated, and it'll probably be three to four months after the, the start of it, we'll outline to the market based on those KPIs that we outlined prior to starting um, the result. And the market really sees those two things in line. What that means to us is that we have success and enables us to go straight towards a commercial facility design and then and then obviously operating after that. So effectively going straight from PEA, because we've got one in the bag, to a feasibility study. Are you not going to do the uh, the interim stage of a pre-feasibility pre study to just to kind of optimize things, um, to do those trade-off studies first? Yeah, no, the pre-fees is underway right now. So um, part of the pilot is, part of pre-fees is exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's a, you're doing trade-off studies of what you want to deploy, what technologies. Um, that's currently underway. We expect to have the pre-fees out by the end of this year. Um, the, the pilot will obviously feed into that, um, but the design work for the actual feasibility and the, and the commercial plant is, is, utilizes the pilot data. So it's fundamental to that step, but absolutely... This year, by the end of the year, we want to have the pre-fees out, which is a, another in amongst itself a major milestone for E3, obviously. So, right so you, you, you won't necessarily have all of the, the pilot plant data. You'll have the pilot plant running after the pre-feasibility study is, 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 is published. Because I can't imagine. So if, you, if you've got two months to uh, kind of before you mobilize, and how long is your construction time? Is that going to be three or four or five or six months? And then you've got to, um, you know, are there any uh, uh, 11 months left in the year? It all seems like a quite a compacted time frame. Well, like I said, the, the pre-fees has already started. And, and what that means is that we have a lot of data on how this pilot operates already because we've been testing it. So that data gets used for the pre-feasibility study. We confirm it with the pilot, obviously. And, and if that confirmation happens, which we expect it to, because keep in mind, again, we're not going out there to pilot if we didn't have a very good handle on what this is going to operate because we need the pilot to be successful. So we have a strong confidence that the pod's already going to be successful before it goes out. But we confirm that data and then the pre-feasibility is confirmed and it goes out because it's still not the detailed design. Um, but we use the data to confirm. But meanwhile, what the, what the staff here at E3 are doing is designing the rest of the plant at a pre-fees level. So all of the other optionality studies as well that need to happen are happening in the background um, today. And then those will get published um, in uh, in the pre-fees when it's out. Okay, good. Uh, let's talk about money for a bit. Um, uh, I, I see in your presentation you've got about fourteen, or you had fourteen million dollars, um, and the, 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 this, the pilot is going to cost. Uh, let's let's run with the number of five million dollars. Uh, you've talked about potentially. You talk about the innovations funding, the the funding from the government of Alberta. So presumably you're going to get about two and a half. Uh, or so million dollars or two to two and a half million dollars in kind of in grants which kind of reduces your i'm just doing the mental arithmetic as we speak reduces your commitment to about three million dollars um you know um, do you have 14 million dollars um is your budget three million dollars and what else are you going to be spending on during the course of this year yeah absolutely so you're right at the end of 2022 20, um, we had roughly about 12 to 13 million in the bank um, you know, we, we have a, a, we were awarded the strategic innovation fund, which is 34% of our project costs. Now that's retroactive back to August 21. So we expect somewhere between a three and $4 million claim coming in. Um, we have warrants being exercised. Um, and you know, those are all 
uh, will be out of warrants, and we'll talk about this uh, maybe in a sec, but we'll be out of warrants on February 8th. And so that, we expect some capital coming in from that. As well, we have um, Alberta Innovates, and there's funds coming in from that. So the pilot cost itself is probably about, today, about 40 to 45% covered by uh, grant funding. And then, you know, our, our other piece of that is, you know, say it's about 2.7 million. Um, and then, so the rest of the capital that we have that we plan to deploy really is working towards the pre-feasibility study. So at some point we will hire um, an EPC firm and they will do the final design and sign off. Um, we're doing, we're developing the reservoir. We've got an M&I plan, hopefully out in M&I upgrade. Uh, for the resource. Sorry, when you say MNI, you mean measured, measured and indicated. Yeah, measured and indicated, uh, which is an increase in confidence of the reservoir and the resource that we have. That's hopefully coming out in Q1. And you need that to do the pre-fees because you need to book the reserve and you need measured and indicated to do that. So that's that's a big next step forward. Um, we hire the, the EPC firm to do the pre-fees. That's coming. Um, that's, there'll probably be an announcement around that. And then the size of what it's going to look like will come. Um, and, and that will all feed into, to what we have. So right now, when you look at our runway, you know, we have uh, a pretty strong bank balance. Um, we have obviously project costs this year, but we're really well funded through grants. Um, so we have a really long runway. We, we expect to get all of those things done. We expect to have the pilot out, the M and I, um, the, the hydroxide production and the pre-feasibility study all out um, with the capital that we have currently uh, in the bank. But nevertheless, a company in this development phase always wants to have a strong balance sheet. So, I mean, you must already be talking at the board level about uh, uh, kind of joined up thinking about when to do the next uh, capital raise. You're going to probably want to do a bigger capital raise. Um, you, you, it's the question of kind of running the, the treasury down too far, the risk of dilution, you know, you're presumably... Uh, or enlighten me on the conversation that you're having at the board level about that, please. Yeah, there's always a balance between, you know, minimizing dilution for your current shareholders and creating value for new shareholders that are coming in. And so for our perspective right now, because we have capital in the bank that is going to get us to the end of this work that we're doing, we have no intent to raise any capital until some of these big milestones are accomplished because we believe that we're being able to create value. We also will be de-risking the project, which means that we open ourselves up to another level of investors. Um, we start to bring in more sophisticated institution type investors into the company as they, as we start to climb up their risk hurdle. Um, you know, the pilot is obviously a big one. Pre-feasibility is a general hurdle industry wide. Um, so you look at those types of, of levers um, that these these institutions are looking to to see us accomplish, um, that sort of puts the time frame, um, you know, fall to, to early Q1 2024. But we've got lots of runway till then. So, you know, we, we have no intention of obviously burning down to the last dollar before we raise, uh, but we've got lots of runway before that's going to happen um, and lots of really big milestones to accomplish in the meantime. And you, you've mentioned a couple of key things along the way. One, one was kind of the maturation, opening up to, to new shareholders, you know, the maturation of your shareholder register. And you've also mentioned uh, warrants. Uh, I'm no fan of the, um, the unitized offerings where people get these kind of um, barely aggressive kind of warrants and they kind of sell the equity. I think it really damages the, well, not damages, but kind of slows down the equity potential of your, of your issued share capital. Uh, of course, you have to do it at certain times. Um, uh, if the market dictates, but um, you mentioned that you might be going warrant free, which hopefully 
is is you would agree is a cleaning up of the share register. Yeah, I mean we're we're very excited about this. We did two raises uh, two years ago, back to back, a five and an eight million dollar raise. You're right. You know, companies at certain stages, those warrants are are required um, as you grow and as you become more valuable and uh, and you change your your shareholder base, those become less required. Um, but we're very excited that on Feb eight uh, of this year, those are the overhang in terms of warrants are gone. We still have the Imperial warrants, um, but those are effectively shares because they're prepaid. So the Imperial's already given us the money for those. So you can consider them actually part of the share registry, although they still have to exercise them. Um, we expect them to at some point. So those those sit there, uh, but they're not overhang because they've already been paid for. So people don't Imperial won't be selling into the market with those, right? Um, because they've already given us the money. So um, very excited to have the register cleaned up and, and that overhang completely gone uh, in terms of those warrants uh, on Feb 8. So I think a big, another big reason that you know, the company can start to accumulate value um, as, as uh, we go through this year is not having those. Because you're right, they, they, do, they can restrict um, that, that value at times. Well, Chris, thank you very much for the update. Um... I understand you've got these various milestones coming, the, the, the start of mobilization of the pilot, the new restated mineral resource estimate, the, the pilot plant up and running itself and data coming from that with the KPIs and then the pre-feasibility study. Now, hopefully somewhere along that process, your shareholders are expecting some kind of re-rating. Um, from from where I sit, it feels to me that the kind of the crucial aspect of that is the the data that comes out of the the the, the leach process. You know, that's the that's the greatest unknown bit. You know, that's the black box. Um, you know, would you agree that that's where the 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 re-rating is most likely to occur? Yeah, I I sort of have a different perspective. I mean, um, I think that that. It's, it's rare that you see companies re-rate overnight on one single announcement. I think that you're going to see this progression of re-rate happen over the year as we get closer to that pilot and then start the pilot and then complete it. I think some of the other things like the m and I mean, that that is going to be a fundamental change in terms of the confidence of this resource. Um, when we start talking about battery grid hydroxide being produced, I think all of these things are going to incrementally impact um, the value of this company. Um, and, and then culminating, I think, yes, with that that really big, strong announcement on the results, the successful results of the pilot in, in the fall. And, and in, in that sense, like it is a pivotal uh, progression forward because it stops us being a development company and it starts us being a commercialization company. And that really, truly, that line does cross when the pilot operates successfully. Um, and then we demonstrate what that looks like in a pre-feasibility study. And then if everything looks good, we roll right into feasibility. And, and I think that that really enables this, this time frame that we're hoping to achieve, which is, um, you know, first lithium sometime in 2026. Um, gosh, it sounds like a, a busy time. Um, have, have, you, um, have you had to grow the, the team as you've kind of gone through this stage? And, and have you got the people in place for you to do the, the pilot plant this year? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges to small companies as they get growing like this is the scale up factor. You have to bring in talented people to do all this work. So we scaled up in two sort of phases in 2021 and then in 2022 uh, in terms of our employee count. So we're sitting roughly uh, at about 30, just under 30 people um, at the company, most of which are highly skilled professionals 
that are, and, and everyone hired out of Alberta's workforce, um, that understand how to design and build this in, in the various factions of the work that they're doing. Either it's the reservoir or the process engineering or the project management. And so um, you need that team. You need that team to deliver something like this. You need the professionals to know how to do it, to deliver it. And, and right now we're, we're good. We have, we have the team in place. You know, they've been working together for a while now. Everybody understands the, the vision and the goal. Um, and once we get the pre-feasibility study uh, ticked off, that's the next growth for the company because then we actually start truly designing this facility and talking about procurement and construction. And you need to have those people in place. Again, not the day you need to construct, but well in advance. So they're also uh, fully up to speed. So we will do another round of scale up, uh, you know, in and around a successful pre-fees um, to, to gear us towards that construction milestone. Um, but all of this is really good news. You see companies like this growing. I mean, we were five people in 2019, right? And now we're 30 people in 2023 and we'll probably be 50 or 60 people by the end of 2024. And that, that is good. That's a good sign um, for, for a company like us. It means we're doing all the right things. Chris, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show.